God is doing through that. And so I encourage you, like Miss Nan said, to to consider how much you and your family can give to that. And uh, we're going to be on that. If you notice, I'm using this microphone. A little trade secret. I wear waders underneath that gown you saw me in when I was baptizing people. And I was so eager to get Mo under that water. Because y'all know he needed it. <laughs> I'm just picking. Uh, that I got water in my waders. And so not only are the batteries ruined on my uh, microphone over there, and hopefully that's all that's ruined, um, but I'm probably uh, sweating because I just had to run home and change clothes <laughs> because I was not expecting to get wet. Um, which I didn't see as Mo actually hugged me and brought me down with him. No, kidding again. But we're excited. Um, I'm going to ask if uh, Mo and, and Melanie, if you have, if your friends and family are here, if they would stand up and you would stand up with them. I told y'all they had friends. Well, we're going to be in Philippians this morning. And um, as we look at Philippians together, we're we're going to start in verse 12 again. uh, Just briefly read over those 12 and 13. Uh, I I do want to remind you that uh, last week I was a little long-winded. And so all the verses I planned to preach last week, I only got to two of them. So we're going to finish that passage this week. But uh, I, I'm, I need to go back and, and cover some things that we didn't talk about in verses 12 and 13 last week. And then we'll move on to verses 14. But we're in Philippians chapter 2. And uh, we're going to focus on 12 through 18 this morning. But we'll also look at some other verses. And I, I just want to encourage you that... When we see people baptized, as we said up there, buried in his likeness, you know, we we die to our old selves. That part of us is over. And now our personality is still there. Who we are is still there. We're still the same person, but at the same time, we become a new person. And I hope that that makes sense. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. Um, We're saying goodbye to our old way of living and sin and not doing things God's way, and we're saying, hello, we're being reborn to walk in his likeness, to be like Jesus, um, to live life his way. We become, spiritually, we become new people. And so the, the letter to the Philippians is all about how we are to live as Christians together. It's about unity it's about living out our walks with Jesus together. And it's about being real people going through real situations, real struggles, and can, keeping our joy in the midst of those struggles and being there for each other and remembering each other and helping each other to be the people that, that God created us to be. And so that's exciting that we get to see the physical example, because baptism is symbolic, it's, that didn't save Mo and Melanie this morning. When they, when they were dunked under that water, immersed in that water, that didn't save them. They were already saved. That was just symbolic 
of what has already taken place in their life. They died to sin. They were, were changing who they are. God was changing who they are into a new person. And they were raised to walk in the newness of life. And so this, is, this passage is going to be all about us living our lives for Jesus. Once we're saved, then what? That's basically what this passage is about. What does it look like to be saved? And Now, Paul is specifically encouraging this group of believers from back 2,000 years ago. And these are believers who lived in, in Philippi. And this is the, the, to the church there. And if you haven't noticed, there's something that I try to do every single week. And this is how I read the Bible. This is how I study the Bible. And this is how I preach God's word. What I do is I go back to, and there's a big fancy word for this called hermeneutics. Some of you might know it, but basically this is what it is. I I try to ask myself, why did Paul, in this specific instance, you can do this in any place in the Bible with any author, but why did Paul write this message to these people? And once I figure out why he wrote it that way, to those people, then I could try to figure out, okay, then considering all the differences between their culture and our culture and what's changed in 2,000 years, some things never change. Some things always remain the same. So I try to figure out what divides that then to now. And there's this river that's in between us. And, and I believe that we can build a bridge over that of a principle of what we can do what, what applies to our life now. And so we've been looking back at what this meant for Paul, what this meant for, for the church at Philippi, and why he wrote these things to them. But at the end of every message, we also look at what does this mean for us? What should we do? And in this case, in these verses, it's really easy because almost everything he says here, or I guess everything he says here, is directly applicable to us and what we need to do with our lives. And so look with me at, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And it says, therefore, and I want to pause because when we see a therefore, we need to know what it's there for, right? All right, so it always leads to something, or sorry, it always reflects back on something that's already been said. Uh, he doesn't just say therefore in the very first verse of, verse, uh, of chapter 1. He, he says it there in the middle. But if, if we go back to the beginning of chapter 2, he says, so if, well, when he says so, we got to know why he's saying that. And so really what we need to remember is, is that this is a letter. This was not written with, with chapters and verses. This was not written um, with the ability for them to go and just focus on one verse or, one, or two or three little verses. Now, I'm sure they did that later, but this was a letter. When you receive a letter in the mail, uh, for those of you who, in here who don't know, the mail is something, there are these things called mailboxes. And you used to open them, and there would be letters from people in them. Now it's just junk mail and bills. But back then, there were actual letters, and you could read them that people would write you. It's kind of like a text message, okay? I'm, I'm just joking a little bit. But anyway, um, this was a letter written to be read to the church at Philippi, to its leaders, to be read as a letter. And so as we read it, we don't need to just look at it as a rule book. We need to look at it as a letter. And so that's what we're going to do. 
We're going to look at this as a letter. He, he starts the letter with a greeting. And for those of you who haven't been here, I encourage you to just go back and read this this afternoon. It's full of really great stuff. He starts this with a greeting because it's a letter. Um, then he goes on to telling them how much he misses them because he, he's close to these people. He misses these people. He hasn't seen them in a while. He lets them know, yes, I'm in prison, something they already knew. But, yes, I'm in prison, but God is using my imprisonment. I'm just pacing a little too much up here. I don't know what's going on. but uh, God used his imprisonment to advance the gospel, to do great things. And we see that there in verses 12 through 18 and uh, of chapter 1. And then he goes on from that to say, listen, I'm excited about what God is doing in my life. And if he chooses to take my life, he says, for me, to die is gain. To live as Christ, he gets to live for him. He gets to share the gospel with people. He gets to pour out his love on people and the love of God on people. Uh, but if he dies, then he gets to be with Jesus in heaven. And so he tells them that. And, and then he gets to the end of chapter 1, going into chapter 2, and he starts talking about unity. And he starts talking about, so if there's any encouragement, okay? He's living for Christ. He's, he's willing to die for Christ. He's willing to do whatever it takes to be obedient and to love Christ and to love others and to be a good example for Jesus. And he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, in chapter 2, verse 1, any comfort from love, any of those things, then he goes on to tell them, then be of one mind, get along, really love each other and and worship God together. Be one church. And it goes into saying that if you are a Christian, then you have this ability to get along, to live in unity, to be the church together. You have this ability because Christ gave it to you. And think of the example that we have in Christ, who though he was God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And even to death, Jesus, who was God, who was in heaven, he hadn't been born yet, he wasn't in flesh yet, but he was God, according to Scripture. He was in heaven, and he chose to leave this perfect place, this place that we all long to go, as we've been talking about. Now, some of us can wait a little while before we get there, right? We're not. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, is the old saying. But uh, the place that we long to get to, heaven, Jesus left there to be born as a man, or he was born as a baby who grew into a man, for the purpose of of living out his life in glory and honor to God and dying without sin, dying on the cross for our sins so that we could have a relationship with Jesus. And that's what this letter has been about. And because Jesus was willing to do that, that's where we get to the therefore. Look at me, look with me at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so what we see here is that we don't do works to be saved. If you look at verse 13, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work. God saves us. We looked at this last week, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. But God has done the work necessary to save us when Jesus died on the cross, when he rose from the grave. We can have new life through Jesus. We just saw an example of this played out through baptism. And so we know that we can have a relationship with God by what Jesus did. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. But 
again, last week we saw that it's not just a head knowledge of knowing God exists that saves us. Just knowing Jesus is Lord doesn't save you. Because even the demons, according to James chapter 4, even the demons believe and shudder. So it takes a faith knowledge. It takes trust. We put our lives in his hands. We believe that he can forgive us of our sins and we ask him to forgive us. We believe that he can usher us into eternity, that he has prepared a place for us. We believe that. We put our trust in him. We put our faith in him. We believe he is Lord. And he becomes our Lord when we put our faith in him. He becomes our Lord and we live for him. And so what he has worked in us we work out our salvation. We prove what's happening internally, externally by our actions. Our actions don't save us. They're just proof of what has already happened inside of us. Okay? Baptism did not save. It's just an example that they wanted to live out in obedience to show what God had done inside of them. So, with that, let's go to verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, I'm a complainer. Uh, I try not to be, but I catch myself complaining all the time. And more than I catch myself, Rose catches me complaining all the time. And so this is a verse that is, um, it's something that is close to my heart because it's something I struggle with. In fact, I had a former student, college student, who had this verse tattooed on his arm. Now, I'm not going that far. I mean, if it's going to save my life, somebody can put a needle in me, but I'm not going to pay somebody to do it over and over again. But that's just me. For those of you who have tattoos, I'm sure they're the most awesome things I've ever seen in my life. But but for me, no desire to have someone poking a needle on me. But he had this tattoo because it reminded him not to complain. And he was an athlete, and so I think there was some of, you know, practicing and and training yourself for the game um that he he had it for some some of those reasons but maybe i need to put that on my mirror or something because do all things without grumbling that doesn't say some things does it it says do all things without grumbling or questioning and to be honest this is difficult for me i've told some of you this story but before we moved here there was this day where we, Rose and I had to let a church know if we were going to be going to see them or not, to go in view of a call, I should say. And um, we knew that we weren't supposed to go to this church. But there was still, like, this desire to go. And, and even though God answered my prayers and, get, and let us know for sure, he gave us both a piece that we shouldn't go to this church, uh, I was still not very happy about that. <laughs> I wanted to go. It was, a, you know, had a lot of... A hundred children, a hundred teenagers. It was a healthy church and growing. And uh, I was excited to potentially be the pastor there. Uh, But I did have some reservations. And God spoke to my heart clearly that that's not where I was supposed to go. And he spoke to Rose's heart even more clearly. And when when Rose knew that we weren't supposed to go, I was just irritated. Because I was ready to to move. I was ready to have a job again and to be doing uh, ministry full time again. And so... uh, I can remember us being in the kitchen, and I, I told Rose, I said, look, I said, uh, I'm just tired. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of not having a job. I'm, t-, you know, and I'm just grumbling. I, I'm doing all things with grumbling. 
and instead of instead of without it. And so, you know, I'm just like spewing all this complaining and um, dissatisfaction. And Rose said, shouldn't you, um, isn't there something good happening in your life right now? Tell me what's good that's happening. And I said, I don't want to tell you what's good. I want to tell you why I'm mad. Just, I know what's right. I know I'm supposed to be doing right here. And, you know, spouses, Christian spouses have a way of helping you get back on track and stop doing what you're not supposed to be doing and and uh, all that. Or maybe that's just Rose. I don't know. Um, but we, when we read this, we need to know that we need to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, this works for us as individuals, right? This, this is directly applicable to us as individuals, but Paul is not writing to an individual, is he? To whom is he writing? A church. And so, together, as a church, we need to take note of this. Because if there's fighting, if there's division, if there's complaining or grumbling, who wants to go to that church? You might have stuck it out, but new people aren't going to want to come if there's all this complaining and grumbling, questioning. And so what we have to do together is we need to take the example of Jesus and we need to take what Paul said at the beginning of chapter 2 about living together in unity and we need to apply that to ourselves and to our church and we need to make sure that we are going forward in unity, that we are listening to God together that we are going forward together, and we're not demanding our own ways. And again, I'm directly quoting the beginning of chapter 2. We cannot demand that things be done our way. We have to consider others more significant than ourselves. You know, um, I have a preference about music. Did y'all know that? I'm sure all of you have a preference about music. We all have a music, a type of music that we like the best. Maybe there's some... Is there anybody in here who just doesn't like music? No one was brave enough to raise their hand. Or we all like music. We all have a specific type of music that we prefer, right? Now, a lot of my college students preferred rap music. I personally don't prefer rap music. Uh, Don't laugh, Matt. I prefer folk music. And, I mean, plus... 90s country or 90s alternative music, I mean, because I was a teenager, you know. You all have a type of music you prefer, right? But, you know, I'm not going to demand that we get a banjo on the stage. Although I would love that. And if you play a banjo, just come talk to me. But I'll pay you to just play the banjo while I'm going to sleep at night. But anyway, I'm not going to demand a banjo on the stage. Why? Because I consider others more significant than myself. I know that when it comes to music, I would rather put my preference on the back burner and put someone else's preference before mine so that we can worship God in peace, we can worship God in unity, so that we can worship. But I've seen churches split over music. And we're not going there, right? We're going to do all things without grumbling or disputing. And we're not going to make any changes to music. Don't get scared unless we all, as a church family and church body, together decide to do that in unity. Then, then we'll, we'll, whatever changes God leads us to make in unity, we'll make. Verse 15. 
So do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom, whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, a lot of times we want to think that we live in the most evil time in history. That this time that we live in, it has never been darker than now. And sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? Because I know that uh, when I watch the Andy Griffith show, um, I'll tell you some of you about what that show is later. But J- John and I w- were watching it the other night, and I watched that show, and I'm like, man, that wouldn't it be nice if life was like that, you know? No, uh, no crime. Barney gets his gun taken away, and it doesn't matter because he never needs it anyway, you know? Um, it, those were the days. But was life really like that in the early 60s when the Andy Griffith show was being recorded? No. Look, you can go back 2,000 years and they're killing our Lord. They're crucifying him. He was innocent and they're killing him. Okay? You can, you can go back throughout history and people are doing the most depraved things that our modern current minds can imagine. Not just heathens throughout church history there have been leaders who have taken advantage of the church in ways that we could not imagine today that we would not stand for today and so paul is telling these people here that you may be blameless and innocent children of god without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world it was crooked then And it's crooked now because we live in a world affected by sin. And it is our jobs to live out our lives for Christ in obedience, in unity, without complaining, without grumbling, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. What he has worked in us, we are working it out. It is our responsibility as Christians to live for Jesus in that way because we need to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. But, you know, so often... In churches, there are churches who you can't tell the difference between them and the twisted and crooked generation. We don't want to be that church. We want to live out the Word of God with love, with respect, with tenacity, with obedience. No matter how unpopular the truth is, we want to live out the Word of God in love so that we can be a light in a crooked and twisted generation. And if we're living as lights, people are going to get saved. But let me, one more thing, and I'm going to move on and we're going to close out this sermon. But let me me just mention this. What good does a light do if it's closed up somewhere and it's not able to penetrate the darkness? There are so many Christians who have zero non-Christian friends or unchurched friends. And that is not a good policy to have. We need to love people who are not in this building. It's not our job to judge them. It's not our job to change them. It's our job to love them. It's our job to tell them about the love that's in our life. It's our job to shine as a light among a twisted and crooked generation. It's our job to to. Be there for them when they need someone. It's our job to truly be there, to truly love. 
And as we do that and they see the love of Jesus and they believe in Jesus, they put their faith in Jesus and he saves them. He does a work inside of them. Then they can begin to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. So many times we expect people to get their lives straightened before they can even come in the doors of a church. And that's not appropriate. That's wrong. We go out and we share the love of Jesus with them. And we let God save them. And he changes them. Now, they can't, you can't be a member of a local church in good standing if you're just living out, living in sin and blatant sin. Then, of course, that causes problems and conflicts. But you deal with those when the time comes. You can't expect a lost person to live as light, to live as a saved person. And so, continuing, verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. So how do we live out this light in a twisted and crooked generation? We hold fast to the word of life. We hold fast to what God has, has spoken in truth. We hold fast to this. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul is talking to friends at the church at Philippi. And he is telling them that he has poured a lot into them. Almost to the point of death, right? He's in prison. He's done a lot for Jesus and he's done a lot for this church. And he's saying that he wants them to live out their life, their light in a twisted and crooked generation. He wants them to be, to hold firm to the word of life. He wants them to be true, wholehearted Christians. He wants them to make him proud. He's speaking personally now in the day of Christ that I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Think about the people who came before you. Maybe there were preachers, Sunday school teachers, parents, grandparents, people who poured into your life, who desire for you to be the type of man or woman that honors Christ. Are you living your life in a way that makes them proud? Now, I'm going to be honest. I was the type of kid this changed when I became a teenager. But I was the type of kid that if I did something wrong and my mom or dad looked at me and said, I'm so disappointed, I would just start weeping. That was like the worst punishment to me that I disappointed someone. Okay? Now, I think that our hearts need to become like children's in this area when it comes to Jesus. Are we living our lives in ways that honor him or in ways that disappoint? We need, like Paul wanted the Philippians to do, we need to live our lives in ways that honor the people who came before us. Look at verse 17. Paul says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He's saying, if my life is to, to be sacrificed, if, I, if, if it takes me dying in order for you to be this type of church, in order for you to be this type of people who live out their life this way for Christ, to be the type of people that he is proud of. If it takes his death, then he's willing to go that far. Paul was sincerely in love with these people. More importantly, he was in love with Jesus. And he wanted Jesus to be honored through the lives of these people, through the lives of this church. So much so that he was willing to be poured out for their sake. What type of church are we? 
Are we the type of church that would make Paul proud? Are we the type of church that honors Jesus? Are we the type of church that is going to move forward in unity? Are we the type of church who counts others as more significant than ourselves? Are we a light in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? Or are we indistinguishable? Can people not tell the difference between us and them? And the difference isn't just us not um, drinking, cussing, or chewing. It's not just about those type of don't do this. Okay? I'm from a little bit of a redneck family. And they had a saying, don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls who do. However, my uncle married a woman who chewed, so I don't know. He didn't heed the advice. It's not just about not doing certain things. It's about what we do for his honor, for his glory. It's about living out our lives for him and loving others who don't deserve it. Because we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve to be loved by Jesus, but he loved us, and so we love others. Are we making those who came before us proud? Verse 18. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Not just don't complain, as he said earlier. And remember where he's at. He's in prison. He has a reason to complain if he wanted one. But he chooses to rejoice in the midst of this hardship. He chooses to rejoice. He chooses to obey He chooses to live out his life in this way, even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of prison. And so, where are you this morning? Are you living out your life this way? If you're not, look, there's plenty of us who aren't. We can't do it alone. We have to do it together. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be living out our lives together, not separately, not alone. If the only time we see each other is on Sunday mornings, then that's not healthy. We need to be doing this together. Then, living out our lives as individuals and living it out together, we can help hold each other accountable. We can pray for each other and strengthen each other and pray that God would strengthen us so that we can live out our lives in unity together in a way that's not complaining, in a way that is with joy, in a way that is distinguishable between the crooked and twisted generation which we're in the midst of. And so as Paul encouraged the church at Philippi I encourage you I encourage myself let us live out our lives for him in a way that honors him. Where do we start? We start by counting others as more significant than ourselves as he said earlier in this chapter. We start by realizing that live or or die, whatever God wants for our lives, it's his. And let's honor him in it. And let's not complain. Let's not grumble or question, why me? Let's together live our lives out for Christ. Let's together be a church that is making a difference and making an impact in the community. Let's look for people who are hurting, and instead of us judging them for what they're going through or what is wrong, let's love them. Let's be there for them. Let's be the type of church who resembles Jesus. Let's be the type of church 
that we can be proud of and we can say, I, I am a member at First Baptist Church in Mansfield or whatever church you attend or, or a member of. You could be proud. Let's be the type of church that we could be proud of. And more importantly, let's be the type of church that Jesus could be proud of. Let's honor him with our actions. We're going to have a time of prayer. And after we pray, we're going to have an invitation. And if you need someone to pray for you, I would be more than happy to pray for you. If, if you want to become a follower of Jesus and need someone to talk to, I would love to talk to you about that. Or if you are ready to join our church, then you could come forward and we'll talk about that. We're going to have a new members class that's starting up in the near future. And we'll, we'll, we would love for as many people who wants to, to be a part of that class. And so before you can join, you need to, to be a Christian who has uh, been saved, who's following Jesus, who's been born again, who you've put your faith in him, and he is your Lord, and you need to be baptized. And so if, if there's any decisions that need to be made this morning, this is the time for it. But let us pray, and then we'll have our time of invitation.